Testing one, two, testing one, two. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, we're certainly appreciative of all who have come to join us as far as our worship experience is concerned. And uh, as we're making preparation to start worship in about a minute and 30 something seconds, let me just say that uh, for all of you who are coming in, we of course want to thank you for joining us. We want to remind those that are in person that uh, you're being beamed all across the country and in certain parts of the globe. So be mindful of your decorum as far as worship is concerned. Folks will make a meme of you if they see you sleep or chewing bubble gum. Uh, I'm very serious about that. We're asking that you also just follow the directions of our ushers as they uh, seat you. A lot of the things that we're doing is for uh, presence as far as our um, video is concerned. And so we thank you for working with our ushers. The last thing I just want to stress is that, of course, COVID is still out there. And um, here in St. Paul, we want to keep our protocols up. So please, ma'am, please, sir, keep your mask above your nose uh, while you're here in worship. We greatly, greatly would appreciate that. We're looking forward to the Lord doing something extraordinary as far as our worship is concerned. And of course, we want to uh, dedicate uh, and bless our children and have them to engage in a litany as well. So we'll be sharing that. So we're getting ready to start our worship experience in just a few seconds. Good morning. Good morning to all of those that are joining us online as well as in the house. Let's give the Lord the praise that he so richly and rightfully deserved for this is the day the Lord has made. For all of those that are watching us this morning, if you're on Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, or engaging in our live chat on our church website, welcome to St. Paul Online. Our digital ministers and social media influencers are ready to engage you this morning. So if you wouldn't mind doing this, if you're watching us on Facebook, share on your personal timeline. Tag people you want to invite to this worship experience. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel and text the link of this worship experience to your network. We want to get our subscribers up to at least 3,000 by the summer. And we're over 2,500 subscribers as far as our YouTube channel is concerned. And if you're in the chat room on our church website, click the invite button in the chat window and share this experience with others. For those that are joining us on the telephone, we give you a major shout out. To those that are on our Zoom congregation, we want to say hello. Also, if you would, in your chat, let us know where you're watching us from. Just put it in the chat and we'll give you a major, major shout out. Amen. Amen. Minister Erica Miner is going to come. She's going to lead us as far as our worship experience is concerned. So let's put our hands together. And let's give our God the praise. Keep those hands together. You came to worship the Lord this morning, didn't you? You came to give God praise and give God thanks for waking you up and giving you the gift of breath in your lungs this morning. I'm glad to be here this morning because Matthew 11, it invites us to come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. If you came here seeking rest, if you came here with great expectations today, you are in the right place because our God is here to meet your expectations. Our God is here. His presence is already in this atmosphere. So stand to your feet. You can stand in your seat. You can stay in your seats if you want to, but I want to be on my feet and I want to worship God this morning. Our children are leading us in praise and worship. Amen. The children are here this morning to praise God and they're going to lead us in singing our morning hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, children and youth, for leading us in worship this morning. Beautiful, beautiful. This morning, we are going to have our morning scripture coming from Micah chapter 6, the book of Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. 
Micah 6, 1 through 8. And while you're turning in your Bibles looking for that, if you are online worshiping with us, welcome to worship. Um, but feel, feel free to post in the chat where you are watching with us from, where you're worshiping with us from. We're glad to have you with us. You could have clicked on any live stream chat, but you chose St. Paul Baptist Church, and we are glad that you're with us. Amen. Our scripture, Micah 6, 1 through 8, reads, Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my, of my soul? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us go to God in prayer. O oh God of love, O oh God of justice. We come here today grateful for one more time to enter this house and worship you. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to gather and praise your name and remember how good you are, Lord. Lord, we thank you for already being in this worship experience, for being here before we even arrived, while we were still laying in bed contemplating if we wanted to wake up to worship the goodness and the mightiness of you, Lord. We thank you for already being here and meeting us at the doors. Lord, we are grateful for all that you are gonna do in this worship experience, Lord. We thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your mightiness, and just being the provider and protector that you are, Lord. And for that, today we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you all the glory that you are due because you are the one true God and the reason why we are here. Lord, we thank you for being the great creator that you are. We thank you for being I am. And in this worship experience, we hope that everything we do glorifies you, that it is pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, we ask that this experience, that we encounter you anew and leave here with transformed minds and hearts so that others will be drawn towards you through what they see in us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have your seats.
Come on, let's give the Lord praise for our youth. Oh, we could do a whole lot better than that. Come on, let's give God praise for them. Come on, let's give God praise for them. is great and greatly to be praised and what an amazing opportunity to hear from our young people as far as them lifting up the praises of our Lord. Let's give them another round of applause. They are growing. They are growing up so fast in front of us and so we, we don't take for granted um, that they are here in worship with us and in a few moments we're going to do a special litany of dedication for our children and our youth, and I'll be calling them to come forward uh, in just a moment to share in this um, wonderful occasion. Let me, if I could, um, before I just share observations, um, let me just say something to the effect, let me just say something to the effect of... Um, of dealing with what happened in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, police brutality, regardless of who commits it, is an atrocity to humanity. What happened in Memphis, Tennessee is perhaps and particularly for black people, one of the most heinous crimes that is known on record. It's one thing when you see the racial implications take place in this country that's perpetrated against black and brown bodies. But it is horrible when we do it to ourselves. I am, I applaud those who march just as hard, protest just as hard against police brutality that has been committed by people that look like us, as well as uh, protests that are committed by people because of white supremacy and racism. We got to do something. I don't want any music. We, we got to do something to continue to push for 
um, the reformation of how policing is done in this country. The United States of America, the most industrialized country in the world, has the highest percentage of incarceration as far as the industrialized world is concerned. And that is because, unfortunately, in communities where the population is mostly black and brown, we are over-policed. So we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of prayers we must continue to render. We have a lot of protesting that we must do. We have a lot of laws that we have to fix. And I would dare say, unlike some folks who talk about defund the police, we don't need to defund the police. But God knows we got to do something as far as helping those that have these tendencies to use their authority and power to abuse people, to either, number one, make sure they don't get in the pipeline to do it, or number two, if we find out they're doing it, cut them loose. Now, there's one more thing I want to say before I do my observations. Um, and here it is. That sister, Chief Davis, down in Memphis, uh, as soon as this situation came out, they moved swiftly in firing those police officers. It is my hope It, it, is, it is my hope that when something like this is perpetrated by a white police officer, they would do the same thing. I, 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 don't, have, I, I, I don't have any issue with what that police, what the chief did as far as firing those police officers. It's, it's my hope that, that, that when white people do that, particularly against black and brown bodies, that instead of giving them paid administrative leave or giving them a desk job until the investigation is completed, Sister Deborah, that, that, that they would cut them loose too. Amen. Let me just say and uh, I'm going to give my observations. The majority of police officers are good, solid people. Amen. We know them. They're in our families. We know them. We associate with them. Uh, we got disciples here who are sheriffs and police officers. We, we know them. Good People, but unfortunately, um, uh, a few spoils the reputation for all. And, and so you can't just brush all police officers as being bad. But my God, we got to do something to shift the systemic uh, undercurrents and underpinnings that continue to allow for this 
to take place. And um, uh, we got a lot of work to do. And so um, for those that engage in protests, for those that are working behind the scenes um, to uh, make the necessary changes, for those that are engaged in the work of ensuring that we don't get folks like that in the pipeline, um, uh, I want to, to, to continue to encourage you to fight the good fight. Um, uh, because I don't want to see any more Tyrese. I don't want to see any more of that uh, take place, which basically means that the struggle still continues and, and work still has to be done. Um, that being said, um, I just want to remind us of a couple of things that are coming down the pipe. February is getting ready to be a very busy month that is leading us into March and leading us into April which we're getting ready to wrap up a lot of things. I just want to say, of course, Black History Month is upon us next Sunday. So on next Sunday, we want to encourage you, wear your Sunday best. And whatever your best is, wear it. Some folks can come in here and men can come in three-piece suits and some don't have any suits to come in. But whatever your best is, you wear it. Some people could come in St. John dress and others can come in Lord help dress, but whatever it is, amen, amen. Whatever your best is, wear it, wear it. Uh, next week is going to be Sunday's best. And so, uh, of course, it's communion Sunday as well. So wear your finest attire. Second Sunday is our HBCU Sunday. Third Sunday is Black Community, Black Community Organization and Divine Nine Sunday. And then, of course, fourth Sunday, we wear our African attire. Just also want to mention on this Saturday coming up at 9.30 will be our CEO, our new disciples class for all persons who have become a part of the church since our last new disciples class. We have, I believe, uh, close to 40 people that are supposed to be going through CEO. Amen. So we invite you, uh, register so that we can uh, share. And of course, uh, I teach that class as far as our new members class, uh, those sessions. Also, next weekend is Love Notes. Our marriage ministry invites married and engaged couples to attend Love Notes uh, weekend. The theme is Closer I Get to You. Tickets are $75 per couple. And so that uh, includes uh, on that Friday, um, there will be a virtual comedy uh, uh, show sponsoring LaRon Clay. Uh, on that Saturday, we will have um, a half day of dynamic sessions with guest facilitators, uh, Judge Shante Burke Hayer and Jeffrey Hayer and the marriage gurus, Dr. Amy Steele and Dr. Michael Steele. Breakfast will be served at 8 the workshop will start here after, uh, thereafter, and that's going to be here at the church. And then that night, we're going to have a sneaker ball, a sneaker ball as far as Love Knows Dinner and Dance. So come dress in your finest and put on some good, clean tennis shoes. Amen. And that's going to start at 630. So we want to let you know that as far as that's concerned. Amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask that our children, if you would, come down front. Um, we're going to do a dedication uh, for you. Uh, so let me 
um, all of our children under the age of 18, uh, if you would come down, uh, children and youth, children and youth, um, would come down to the, come down front, come down front. Amen. All right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're under 18 and um, we would invite you to come down as well, even if you're not part of St. Paul Church or connected, we invite you to come down as well because God knows our children need covering. I'm going to ask um, Minister Joshua Jordan, who has been serving um, our children and youth as far as uh, being their minister since uh, Reverend Peyton C. has left, who has been doing an outstanding job with our young people. I'm going to ask that he will come and that he will provide this litany. I'm going to ask that our congregation would stand because there's a part for you to read. Our children will have a part to read, and it will be on the screen as well. Um, And then we will have um, prayer for our children, youth, as well as others on our sick and shut-in list. Hey, guys. So... So you know, when it says children and youth, we'll all read together, okay? So look on the screen, okay? So here we go. God is concerned about the children and youth in our church and in our communities. It is up to the church to nurture, nourish, and love our young people. It is up to the church to liberate them from negative influences and effects of society and help them to be the boys and girls, young ladies and young men that God wants them to be. Congregation. Children and youth. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If the church is going to be relevant and meaningful in the new millennium, we must take the challenge seriously and convince our children and youth that God loves them. We must help them understand that they can have a relationship with God when they are young, because God is more interested in willingness than in age. Congregation. should not let the excitement 
of being young cause us to forget God. The Bible says that we are to honor God in our youth. We can we can honor God by having a relationship with Jesus, obeying our parents, and serving in the church. The children and youth are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. We must prepare them for tomorrow. We cannot despise our children and youth. We must, be, we must compassionately embrace them, lovingly correct them, faithfully educate them, and unconditionally love them. We are called to do this because that is what God does for us. Congregation. to seek God's will for our lives. Listen to our elders and do our best in whatever task we do. We know that God loves us. We need God to help us love him and each other. We need God to make us the men and women that God wants us to be. We place ourselves in God's hands for God's protection and help. Amen. Great job. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. We're going to pray for it. We're going to pray for you all. Don't leave too soon. All right. We have uh, some prayer concerns that I do want to share with us. We want to lift up the family of Jesse Brown, who is a nephew of Disciple Roosevelt Johnson, um, services will be in Richmond, Virginia this Friday from 3 to 5 and on Saturday uh, the service will be at 1 o'clock at Mims Funeral Home. We want to lift up the family of William Harvey who is the father of disciple Marcus Harvey and those services are pending. We want to also remember the family of disciple Ruth Lockett. Uh, those services were Friday. The family of Chris Peterson um, those services were on Friday as well. Uh, Ruth Lockett, uh, mother of Latanya Peoples, and Petrina Lockett, and of course her brothers were Lawrence, Te or Lawrence Teasley and Larry Teasley and sister Patricia Knox. Keep those people lifted up in prayer. Chris Peterson, the son of sister Betty Oates, and the family of James Lowry, who is the brother of disciple uh, Aquinetta Lowry, and those services were in Baltimore. We want to continue to lift up on our sick and shut-in list Joseph Forbes, Donna Gabriel, Lula McCullough, Kimberly Muglin, uh, and our pastor emeritus, Reverend Dr. Paul Drummond, and his wife, Sister Thomasina Drummond. And of course, there are names that will be scrolling up and down the list as far as um, uh, the sick and shut-in are concerned. And if you would, keep them in your individual as well as collective prayers. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask that... Um, Minister Erica Minor will come and pray for our young people. Thank you, Joshua, for leading this litany. And pray for those that we've mentioned as far as our sick and shut-in are concerned.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for being the center of our joy. Lord, in a world that is full of confusion, chaos, violence, heartbreak, and so much brokenness, Lord, we are grateful that you are the source of our contentment. Lord, we thank you for all that you do and how you look out for us. Lord, we thank you that we are able to assemble on days like today and just worship you and remember how good you are. Lord, in remembering how good you are, we look and see the faces of these young children, of these youth, and we are grateful for all that you are doing in their lives and how you are moving and guiding and leading them. Lord, we ask for strength to be able to be good examples to them, energy to nurture and raise them. Lord, we ask that your love is constantly permeating us so that it pours out onto them in their lives. Lord, help us as we strive to be a village to them, whether we are aunts, uncles, whether we are choir directors, whether we are teachers and educators of all kinds of sorts, whether we are daycare leaders or just parents leading them each and every day. Help us to be what they need so that they don't stray away from you, so that they know how to persevere in this life by clinging to you. Lord, help us to teach them so that they never forget your name and who you are. Lord, we ask that you protect our children, that you help them be all that they can be in you, that they live their purpose to glorify you and all the gifts that you have bestowed upon them, Lord. Lord, we ask special blessings for all that is going on in this world. We have seen the news. We have read papers. We have looked on the Internet. And, Lord, we have seen so much despair in these last few weeks. We have seen floods damaging homes. We have seen wildfires. We have even known about earthquakes that have left places in shambles. But, Lord, we have witnessed yet another brutality. And, Lord, you know that we are exhausted you know that we feel hurt. You know that at times we feel helpless. But remind us that we can put all our trust and hope in you. That you hear our prayers. You hear our cries. And Lord, you are working even when we don't see it. You are working even when we don't feel it. And we just have to remain faithful in you. That you are a God of justice. That you are a God of mercy. And you are a God of love. And we just need to cling to that and keep praying and keep marching and keep letting our voices be heard, Lord. Anything that is within us that is not siding with you, that is not pleasing to you, Lord, remove it. Take away the silence for those of us that don't have the courage to speak out. Take away our silence for those of us that don't have the courage to march. Move our feet. For those of us that don't have the courage to write a letter to a congressman or make a phone call, Lord, move our fingers and open our mouths so that we can be advocates for what is righteous, Lord. Lord, help us be witnesses of how good you are and let us be the ones that are the advocates of change. Let us be a part of what needs to be transformed and not just let bad continue to happen. There is something we can do as long as we are doing it for you and as long as we remember that we have power in your name. Lord, we ask that you put a ble special blessing on this church, Lord. Lord, bless our pastor as he continues to lead us and, and educate us in your word. Lord, 
bless each and every sermon that he preaches, that it draws someone even closer to you and that a soul that did know you before comes to know you and be in relationship and accept salvation. Lord, bless all those who co-labor with him, each and every church leader, whatever their role is. Lord, remember that they are doing this to bring you glory and not to please men and women. Lord, we just ask that whatever this church is doing and whatever we're not doing, that we remember that we are your servant people and that we do everything better this year, that we are consistent that this year and that we do more and show more love, Lord. Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness. We know we don't always get it right. We know we don't always think and act with love. And today we just ask that you forgive us and help us to do better, Lord. Lord, we thank you for how you're moving, how you're working, and we just thank you for being so good so good. Lord, we, we count everything that we have asked for. We ask that it be done in your name. We know that you're in every hospital room. You're by every bedside. You're with those who are grieving and sad. And we just ask that you comfort them in your loving arms and help us to be the brothers and sisters that they need. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you believe that God is answering their prayer, can you give God praise? And let's give God praise for our children and you as they return to their seats. Amen. 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 All right. Somebody little fellow is down here looking. Now, whose fellow is this? All right. Okay. <laughs> he, he ain't lost. He in the church. He ain't lost. Amen. I just want to make sure he's connected to whom he needs to be connected to. Amen. Amen. Let those that are waiting in the vestibule in at this time. Come on in. It's time to give. Let's give God praise for the wonderful opportunity to give. Let's give God praise for the wonderful opportunity to give. Um, and uh, as we prepare to give, as we prepare to give, there are several ways that we can give here at the St. Paul Church. The first one is, of course, by either mailing check or money order to the church at 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28205, or by dropping off check, cash, or money order here at the church, and uh, call the church office, 704-334-5309, to make sure that someone is here to receive your offering and put it in the safe for the next count. The other way you give is through our church website, uh, ACS or Church Life. And then, of course, you can also give through the app called Givelify. And if you don't have that app on your smart device, download that app to your smart device. Search for St. Paul Baptist Church Charlotte and connect it to your favorite credit card. And in three clicks, you can give. If you have a fiscal offering here in the church um, at the appropriate time, we're going to ask those that are on the outer edges of the aisle, look down beside you lift the basket, pass it to the inner aisle, and you can give as far as that's concerned, all right? So however you're giving, if you are giving a physical or even if you're giving digitally or if you have already given, if you would place your offering in your right hand and let's give unto the Lord as we give God what's left, not as we give God what's right, not what's left. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come and we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to partner with you through generosity and grace. And God, we come and we give because your word has commanded it and also because we love you. 
For those that are practicing the discipline of giving tithes and offerings, we pray you will bless them according to your word. For those that may not be practicing that discipline but giving something, increase their faith to the level of biblical obedience. And then, God, for those who aren't giving anything, who feel like they don't have anything to give or they don't have to give anything, God, we pray you will tenderize their hearts until they understand that giving is when we're most like you. Take these gifts Multiply them in such a way so we can continue to do your work through this tribe known as St. Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those that are on the outer edges of the aisle, if you would, take those baskets, pass them to the inner edges, um, and give at this time. Next Sunday, before our children come and bless them with someone's election, next Sunday will be consecration for all disciples we're going to do a litany for all of those who are part of saint paul's church uh so we have a special litany for our disciples on next sunday so uh we invite you to join us and share online as well as in the house
Come on, let's give them another round of applause. Can you help me to also celebrate Dr. Sherelle Fuller for working with our children? She drive all the way from High Point to work with them. Thank you, Dr. Fuller, and thanks to our youth for uh, giving us soul-inspiring uh, personal music. Uh, thank you so very much. Um, I don't take for granted when young people are engaged in our worship experience. So thank you all so, so very, very much. Um, I want to call your attention to Psalm 15. Psalm 15. And um, over, the last, over the last few weeks, I have been on this New Year kick. Um, positive change for the new year, uh, purpose of spiritual gifts for the new year, praise for the new year, a blessing for the new year. Um, and I want to kind of sum it up today as far as Psalm 15 is concerned. And so um, this is the word of God uh, that was written by David. It says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteous and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall not be moved. I want to preach for the time that is mine consistency for the new year. Consistency for the new year. I would dare say that I am speaking to some people who hopefully want to do better to become the best version of themselves. I don't think I have come to a gathering where there are a bunch of people who desire to live an impotent mediocre, apathetic life where you do nothing, be nothing, and become nothing. Rather, I believe those who are gathered in this space, virtually and physically, desire more because God has created us to do some magnificent and transformative with this life and with the time we have. However, beloved, this does not happen without a positive shift in lifestyle and a transformative change in our relationships to become what God desires, designs, and destines us to be. In other words, there is no easy way for us to accomplish the things and become the person God has in God's mind. 
This is not a one-time event. There are no shortcuts, but rather it is a daily process, a consistent effort to become who and what God wants us to be. Within the framework of Christian spirituality, this is better known as spiritual disciplines, requiring daily actions and consistent execution. The purpose or the pursuit of godliness through our consistent positive actions will produce a person who will be pleasing to God. It will cause us to become agents of reconciliation and it will help us to become more of a disciple of Jesus Christ whereby we're able to shift the atmosphere wherever we show up. We cannot become the person, the disciple of Christ, without discipline, without consistency. Someone said discipline without direction is drudgery. And if you know where you're going, if you know who you're trying to become, then engaging in consistent discipline through godly actions will produce the person to whom God will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. In the world of sports, in the world of entertainment, in the world of business, the idea of consistency is important. Ultimately, it is the game changer. It requires doing what others aren't willing to do to become what others cannot be. Consistency is connected to purposeful living where redemption, liberation, and transformation occurs. This does not take place by luck or happenstance. It requires persistent preparation. Like the basketball player who goes to the gym every day and shoots a thousand shots the right way. Like the pianist who practices every day the scales and the chords and the music the right way. Like the writer who carves out time to engage in putting pen to parchment or in our case, fingers to the keyboard and writing. The reason I am being led to preach about consistency is because most church folks are inconsistent. We're inconsistent in our living, inconsistent in our giving, inconsistent in our love, inconsistent in showing grace, inconsistent in demonstrating forgiveness, inconsistent in our church attendance, inconsistent in ministry engagement, inconsistent in missional involvement, inconsistent in our personal development, inconsistent in our character attributes, inconsistent in our eating habits, inconsistent in fasting, inconsistent in our praise and worship, inconsistent in rightly treating people the way God would have for them to be treated. The late Dr. Maya Angelou wrote, and I quote, one is not necessarily born with courage, but one is born with potential. Without courage, we cannot practice any other virtue with consistency. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest, end of quote. Anything in life worth doing, anything in life worth having is going to take time, patience, and consistency. As a matter of fact, I maintain that consistency 
is the currency of authentic Christian discipleship. Your salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. But discipleship costs. That means engaging in rituals, regardless of how mundane the ritual seems, until the ritual has you. Uh, it, it means praying consistently, reading your Bible consistently, coming to church consistently, giving consistently, doing the work of ministry consistently. It, it, it means getting the ritual done until the ritual has you. It, it, it is like brushing your teeth every day or putting on deodorant every day. You know when you have or have not brushed your teeth and put on deodorant and everybody around you knows it too. When it comes to our becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, there has to be consistent engagement with God, with others, as well as ourselves. The Bible tells us how we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. I have discovered that God uses three major catalysts to develop us into being disciples of Jesus Christ. However, out of all three of those major catalysts, we only have control over one of them. One catalyst God will use is that God will use people to change us. God will use our friends to shape us to becoming more Christ-like. There are times that God will e even use your enemies to file away rough, ungodly edges of our being. God will use parents, children, spouses, co-workers, schoolmates, neighbors, church members, pastors, and other people until we become what God would have for us to be. However, ultimately, we have no control over those people. Another agent of change that God will use is circumstances. We love to quote Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord who are the called according to his purpose. Circumstances like financial pressures and physical conditions and even the weather can be used by God to help us to become more Christ-like. However, we have no control over the weather. We have no control over financial pressures like the stock market. We have no control at times even over our physical conditions. However, the final one is being consistent in our spiritual disciplines over which we have control. This is different because God will use the consistency of our spiritual disciplines to change us from the inside out. When God changes us, through people and circumstances. That process is from the outside in. We have little choice in how people behave. We have little to do with what the weather is going to be. We can't control the stock market, but we got a lot of control over whether or not we're going to pray. We, we got a lot of control over whether or not we're going to read our Bible. We got a lot of control over whether or not we're going to go to church 
And we have a lot of control over whether or not we're going to fast. This means being intentional with God in our private devotions, our public worship, our demonstrative praise, and our godly actions. This means, here it is, that you must be willing to do what you don't feel like doing to become the best version of what God and who God wants you to be. In other words, I have lived long enough to discover that motivation ain't good enough. You must rely on being mission desired. You need more than motivation. You need discipline and determination. Because I ain't going to lie. There are sometimes I don't feel like praying. Now, I know you all are super saved. I know I'm your pastor. I, I know. But there are times I, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like writing a sermon. There, there, there are times I don't feel like going to visit folks that I know don't like me. However, I can't do the work of the Lord, uh-oh, based on my feelings. That, that's, that's, why, that's why motivational speaking does you no good because motivational speaking is based upon inspiration. However, when you're doing it for the Lord, you need to be basing that upon relationship. Do y'all really think that David Scott Gibson loves being down here at the church nearly every day, rehearsing at times with some cantankerous folks who don't want to do what he would have for them to do? Because y'all choir folks can be special. Do, do you really think, do you really think at times, Sister Paulette, who's Amos, who's over the ushers, want to deal with ushers that can sometimes have a funky disposition and an ugly attitude? Amen, likes. You, you, you don't do the stuff in the church just based on your feelings. You better know who God is in the pardon of your sins, and you better know who God is through your prayer life. I say all that to get to this point. This psalm that David writes in Psalm 15 uh, lays out some things we need to be consistent in. Psalm 15 is known as a processional psalm or a song of entrance into the temple. This is a song being rendered as somebody is heading to the tabernacle of God and it is giving, check this out, qualifications to engage in worship. There is a question of accessibility into the very presence and the place of Yahweh. Yet, we have to wonder Who's going to worship in the text? Who is raising the question? Because back then, common folks like us did not enter the tabernacle, only the Levites. So were the Levites in this procession? Or was it the pilgrims who came to carry out the feast of the unleavened bread? Or was it a fugitive seeking asylum in the outer courts of the sanctuary? Was it God-fearers coming to talk to a priest 
about what the will of God was? Or was it worshipers who had overcome a crisis and now were showing up to give God praise and glory because the Lord brought them out? I'm not sure. Some maintain that this particular psalm was written by David after he had returned the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house. Regardless of who is being referenced and why it's being written, it is explaining who is worthy to be a guest in the house of the Lord. Isn't that different from how we come to God's house in this day and time? Because, and I'm getting ready to mess some of us up, the phrase, come as you are, would be inappropriate in this text. In other words, uh, this text says, if you're going to come to God's house, there are certain things you got to do before you dare approach the presence of God. There are some requirements. There are some consistent attributes a person had to possess in order to enter the sanctuary of the Lord. And I'm mighty afraid that we have made God's house too common. Where there's no sense of respect and reverence, no awe or aspiration, no holiness or healing, no glory or godliness in some of these churches. I declare some of these churches look more like a nightclub and a coffee house than the house of God. They have gimmicks, but no gospel. Got a bunch of loud noise, but no Lord. They have smokes and mirrors, but no spirit and no salvation. They have a club atmosphere, but not a Christ-like climate. They have a beat, but no Bible. They have hollering, but no holiness. They have shouts, but no substance. I don't know about anybody else, but in 2023... When I come to the Lord's house, when I enter the sanctuary, I want to know I'm in church. I, I, I know for the culture that that's, that's, not, that's not something I should be talking about. But I want to know I'm in church. Not a club, but church. Not a coffee house. But church, not a cinema, but church, because I maintain that something ought to be happening in the church, in the sanctuary, in the temple, in the tabernacle that does not take place anywhere else. That's why the psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I want to become more qualified to be in the presence of our God. I want to be credentialed to dwell in God's holy hill. So what are some consistent conditions required for us to be in the sanctuary, for us to come into the presence of God? Because what I want you all to understand that this is a word for those who have been born again, not the sinner. Because as I maintain, sinners can praise, but saints can worship. What are some of the qualifications that this text teaches us about coming to the house of the Lord? First of all, there must be, uh-oh, here it is, consistent righteous living. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to, 
Yeah, this ain't no shouting sermon. Verse 2 of the psalm talks about consistent righteous living. There are three aspects of this verse to what you and I are called to do. We are told to walk uprightly, work righteousness, and speak the truth. This deals with the very fabric of our character who wants to be in the place where God manifests God's presence. There must be a sense of being blameless before God. This is a posture of being sincere, of maturing, growing in our walk with God, and living a life of integrity. This means being integrated in such a way until there's consistency of who you are wherever you show up. This also means living a life in obedience to our God. The psalmist says how we should work righteousness. This means doing the work of reconciliation and redemption and fighting for justice in a world that has gone crazy. If you and I are going to do the work of righteousness, we are called to engage in justice, loving the unlovable, speaking up for the voiceless, standing up for righteousness. This means when you see someone being mistreated, you speak up for them. You stand up for them. And here is really what the author is talking about. He is saying, don't be one thing in the church building and something else on the parking lot. Uh, don't, don't be one thing in your Sunday school class and another thing around your house. Be consistent. And, and you know, it's a crying shame. It's crying shame that you come into 41 Allen Street shouting and giving God glory, honor, and praise, and almost speaking in tongues, and then you get out on the parking lot and you speak in another tongue that is not God-driven. This is the sad reality about what happened to Brother Tyree Nichols when he was brutally murdered in Memphis, Tennessee by those five black police officers. Somebody should have said, stop. Some, 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 somebody should have made a phone call to a supervisor or to the chief saying these Negroes down here done lost their ever-loving mind. Somebody should have said, stop. Somebody should have said something or done something, even if it risked them being called a snitch. Now, I'm going to tell y'all something that I've noticed about this whole scenario. I don't see nobody talking about blue lives matter now. Is it because of the color of the skin of the ones that, that perpetrated this horrendous act? Is it only that blue lives matter for white police officers? Somebody should have spoken up 
and stop the madness. In fact, because of the way you live your reality, that when you live an integrated life, when you show up, there are certain things people will not do, don't want to do, or can't do in your presence. In other words, when you show up, folks start hiding the liquor bottle. Y'all ain't got to look at me like I'm crazy. I know I'm telling When you show up, folks that's on the weed stop smoking. That, that, that when you show up, you shift the atmosphere. That when you show up, folks that were cussing start shutting up. Why? Because there's something about you that folks say, I can't do what I want to do when I'm in the prayer. At, at least when I show up, folks say, oh, Ramp, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And I just put them at ease. I said, listen, God knows, but, but I appreciate the respect that you give me. Back in the day when the wino used to pass the church, at least he would stop drinking while he was on the same block in the church but nowadays some folks have no respect for the house of God or for the people of God David said it best blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in due season his leaves shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper I'm here to let somebody know that when you're trying to do the things the way that the Lord wants you to do them God will strengthen you God will undergird you God will empower you to be a bright light shining in a dark and dismal place. Not only must you have uh, consistent righteous living, but you got to have consistent positive speech. That's in verse 3. Verse 3. It reads like this. And he who does not backbite with his tongue nor does evil to his neighbor nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. All the text is telling us is to watch your mouth. David tells us that we should not slander others. That we should not be engaging in gossip. Your words have power. When you focus on the, as the positive aspect of words, then your life starts shifting, moving in that direction. But if all you do is talk negatively, then your life is going to yield negative results. You can't speak words of defeat and expect to live a victorious life. You can't speak words of death and expect to have life. You can't speak words of failure and expect to have success. You can't speak words of poverty and expect to prosper. You can't speak words of cursing and expect to have a blessing because ultimately you will reap what you sow through your mouth. I'm here to let somebody know that there is power in your language. There is power in your tongue. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. By the way you talk, 
you create an environment, an atmosphere for either good or evil because it impacts your mindset and you got to live with those consequences. In other words, if you're always murmuring, always lying, always complaining, always gossiping, always moaning, always fussing, always cussing, always belly aching, always whining, always grumbling, always mumbling, always fault finding, always playing the victim, always talking about how bad things are, then you're going to create a miserable, funky existence and you're going to be depressed. If you hang around people who are always crabby, argumentative, don't have anything good to say, that mess impacts your spirit negatively. Then you find yourself acting crabby and argumentative and not having anything good to say. So you got to learn how to surround yourself with people that know how to speak blessings and not curses. You need to surround yourself with people that know how to, even if they are being real, see the good in something crazy and chaotic. Because when you surround yourself with positive people who got something going on in their lives, that mess will rub off on you too. Uh, when you surround yourself with people who love to give God praise, when you surround yourself with people who love to bless the name of Jesus, when you surround yourself with people who say, I ain't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you surround yourself with people that know how to talk positively, when you surround yourself with people who are optimistic, then it buoys your spirit. It lifts up your bow down head. It lets you know uh, that I can run on to see what the end will be. You got to let somebody in your life that's got something worthy to contribute to your space. Stop hanging around folks that are negative, that got a bad attitude, ain't got nothing good to say. You need to be around some folks that know how to drop some nuggets of blessings in your space. You, you got to have some folks in your life that know how to talk you off the ledge. You got to have some folks in your life that know how to put you in check when you start saying something stupid and silly. Because too often we use words to describe our negative situation. But if we look at the power God has having us, have us, I believe that God wants us to use our words to change our situation. In other words, stop talking bad about your problems and start talking good about a solution. And let me share this. Everything that comes to your mind does not need to come out of your mouth and it does not need to be posted on social media. The other thing I want to drop on you is this, is that there also must be consistent ethical behavior. Consistent ethical behavior. That's in verse 4. It's consistent ethical behavior. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Ethical people don't like being around crazy folk. They honor God. They keep 
their word. This is not for the world. This is not for the culture. This is for believers. This is for those who are saved. Because when you are saved, you just can't come as you are. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, it's a whole lot of stuff we, 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 we put on the Bible that ain't in the Bible because nowhere in the Bible does it really say come as you are. There ain't nowhere in scripture. Um, but the sinner is to come as he or she is, but they ain't to remain the way they came. You and I, as saved persons, aren't to come as we are because God should be changing us consistently. Mm-hmm. So, what we have to do, if we're going to live an ethical lifestyle and engage in ethical behavior, we got to be careful who we hang around. Because the psalmist tells us to despise a vile person. Now, the reason you can't shout about a vile person, you may not know who a vile person is. But a vile person is just somebody that's wicked. With evil. Just downright ugly. Look at me. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Look, look, look at me. A vile person is despicable. As a matter of fact, I contend that some of us church folks disqualify ourselves from being in the presence of God because we admire wicked folks. And we got to be careful who we put up as a model to emulate. Because some athletes, some politicians, some celebrities, some business persons, even some celebrity preachers flaunt a lifestyle that is contradiction to what God would have for you to do. It is culturally enticing, but it's spiritually damaging. Be careful not to allow wicked folks to be your example. We're called to honor God because we love God. We're called to honor God because we fear God. Fear not in the sense of being scared of God, but fear in the sense of respect, of reverence for God. In other words, uh, don't just come to God any kind of way. You and I ought to make preparations to enter the presence of a holy, loving God. And that's in sharp contrast to the culture. And we ought to seek out people who are doing the same. I can tell your future based on who your friends are. I, I, I can tell what type of future you're going to have based on who you hang around. Then the author says we should keep our word. Which means that if you're going to do something, if you say you're going to do something, then do it. Don't make promises sparingly. Make promises sparingly, rather. It is best to under-promise and over-deliver, but too many of us over-promise and don't deliver. When you and I have integrity, our word is our bond. 
And you and I have to learn how to keep our word even when we don't feel like it. This is why, and I know some folks don't like it, but this is why no is a favorite word of mine. You do know that the word no, N-O, is a complete sentence. It needs no punctuation, no exclamation mark, no, no is a complete sentence and no will keep you out of trouble when you know there's something you don't want to do or something you can't do. But the psalmist is saying, if you give your word, do whatever you have to do to bring it to pass, even if it hurts you. Why? Because your word is your bond. And when you break your word, you dishonor God with your saved, sanctified self. Finally, um, there must be a consistent, proper use of your money. This is in verse 5a. Um, the author talks about how don't put your money out at usury. Don't take a bribe against the innocent. See, the, the Israelites weren't supposed to charge interest to other Jews. That was forbidden in the Levitical law. They didn't have lending institutions like we do today. However, if I could build a bridge, a scriptural bridge from then to now, the author is really talking about engaging in what we call predatory lending and interest. One should not be charging 30, 40, or 100% interest on money loaned. So the main thrust is not to take advantage of people in their unfortunate situations where they need money. Now, a moment of transparency from your pastor. I don't loan people money. I, I, I don't. And, and, and can I tell y'all why? Because if I do, I want something in writing. <laughs> that say you're going to pay it back. That say you're going to give it to me back. I, like loaning people money because if I loan somebody money and they don't pay me back, but I see them bossing and flossing, flaunting and flamboyant with material possessions in front of me, Joshua, I'm going to be salty. And I'm going to be salty because I'm assuming they're doing it, Sister Gwen, with my money that is owed me. Uh, so, so, so I, 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 I don't, I don't loan folks money. That's that's how you break up families, and that's how you break up friendships when you loan somebody money, and then all of a sudden they go ghost on you. Y'all know what ghosts mean, don't you? You call them, they don't respond. You text them, you don't hear from them. As a matter of fact, it seemed like they disappeared off the face of the earth until you catch them at a football game or a basketball game or at the mall and you want to go up to them and say, hey, what's up? And they say, oh, oh you know, I got you, man. I got you, girl. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. Go on like, no, Negro, you got what I'm looking for on you right now. Am I talking to anybody that, that's feeling the way I feel? 
Because God knows some of y'all done loaned some folks some money, and then you see them coming to 1401 Allen Street with some new hair and new fur and new dress and new suit, and you just be cussing them out all in your mind because you be going like, don't you owe me? I'm done. But let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. I now understand even more fully how God feels. I, 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 I now understand how God feels when we claim to be tithers when we claim to be giving, but we don't. Wow. <sighs> I'm out there now. <laughs> claim to be tithers, even if you ain't tithing. You're supposed to give God what God asks for. I know I'm getting ready to get in trouble. You go buy new clothes, new house, new cars, new jewelry, new stuff, with money that belongs to God. Giving is a proper use of your money. Tithing and giving an offering is a proper use of your money. Now, I know there's some ears that are closing up on me right now. That's why you're not going to be blessed. But I believe I got seven of you all. I'll make eight that know you can't beat God's giving no matter how hard you try. Because money will cause you to violate the will and the commandments and the desire of God. When you make money, your idol. And when you make money, your idol, you'll do anything for the almighty dollar. Now, I see somebody bubbling in your bubble thoughts saying, well, tithing was under the Old Testament. Giving was under the Old Testament. We're under the New Testament. You're exactly right. We're under the New Testament, which calls for grace giving. And do you know what grace calls for? All of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do anything for the almighty dollar. Corporations wreak havoc on God's creation through pollution, causing global warming and climate change for the bottom line. Businesses violate ethical norms within legal boundaries, causing harms to individuals. Companies that know their product is faulty, but push it to the market and creating bodily damage, all because of the dollar. The pursuit of the dollar causes individuals to sell drugs that kill people in our community. Cause people to sell their bodies for sexual gratification. Create a business while not providing a living wage. You and I must be careful never to place money over God. Because the Bible does say, what does it profit? A man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Money can buy you a car, but it can provide you no care. Money can buy you a house, but it can't make a home. Money can buy you some hair, but it won't produce holiness. Money can buy you a dress, but it will not give you directions. Money can buy you suits, but it won't clean up your spirit. Money can buy you style, but no substance. Money can buy you jewelry, but it won't give you joy. Money can buy meat, but it will not give you morals. Money can buy bread, but it will not give you bonus. Money can buy 
eggs, but it will not provide enthusiasm. Money can buy vitamins, but not virtue. Money can buy sex, but not sense. Money can buy prescriptions, but not a purpose. Money can buy medicine, but not mercy. Money can even buy you some looks, but it won't give you love. Money can buy you some phones, but not perseverance. Money can buy computers, but hallelujah, it can't buy Christ. And money can buy gems, but it can't give you God. There is nothing wrong with you making money, nothing wrong with you having money, but don't let money have you. And certainly you should not take bribes for any favor. You and I should not put our integrity for sale when it comes to our influence. I close with this. The author says, if you do these things, consistent living, consistent action, consistent giving, uh, treating our neighbors right, if you do these things, you shall not be moved. If you do these things, here's the shout, you will not be put on God's blacklist. Because those of us who do the things the way the Lord wants us to do them, even when trouble comes, we're in the safety and the security of our God that when trouble comes, because doing those stuff doesn't mean you won't have any trouble. But when you do things the way the Lord wants for you to do them, he has promised this. He or she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress in my God. In Him will I trust. I'm done. I'm done. Um, There's a certain way we are expected to behave. Deacons come. There's a certain way we are expected to behave. And, and um, um, we got to help people to start living a more consistent lifestyle. Um, here, you know, what, you know what has happened? We have, because of COVID and because we made things so convenient, we have... Tired pastors and rested saints. Let me say that again. We're called to make disciples. And we have tired pastors. But saints who do things out of convenience. One of the things that our brothers and sisters in Africa do, they don't have all the technology we have. They walk four, five, ten miles sometimes just to go to church. And some of us complain about walking two blocks because of parking. There are some folks who, who, who have a problem coming to church because they're, they're ill, they can't get out. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying this, that, that, that if you can go air, that's E-R-R, air, airwhere else, mall, games, restaurant, airplanes, 
If you can go everywhere else, you can come church. We're called to be disciples. We're called to be disciples. And discipleship costs something. This word that I gave today is not for the unsaved. 